In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos Podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth as the Argos lose an absolute heartbreaker 23-22 to the defending Grey Cup champion Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Ben Grant joined as always by JB. This is going to be a little bit of a, a therapy session, I think, JB, for some of the, the people listening and certainly tweeting at home. Uh, there's a, a lot going on tonight. Uh, but it's just, uh, it's so painful to see the Argos a point short. And while it didn't come down to it, it's not, the, it's not the reason the Argos lost this game, but to lose on a missed extra point right at the end of the game, the way we've seen other teams do it at BMO was, was pretty painful. <laughs> I would imagine uh, there are some Hamilton and Montreal fans who are quite pleased with the result of tonight. <laughs> um, you yeah. know, hey, live by it, die by it. You know, we've, we've gotten some, you know, the, the football universe is, is only going to give you so many breaks like that. So it was, it was probably our time to, uh, to lose one, but uh, yeah, I think there was, you know, a lot of positives to take away from the game and some, uh, some continuing question marks. The first quarter, we'll sort of go through the game chronologically and talk about some of the key points as we go. But that first quarter, I want to say it couldn't have gone much worse, although I was there in BC last week when I saw it go worse. But you certainly couldn't have started out worse. Uh, the The defense looks great. They, they you know, force a, an early punt. And then we have back-to-back misplays by the Argos. McLeod Bethel-Thompson finds Brandon Banks wide open on a deep out route and Banks just drops it. It lands right in his hands and he drops it. And then McLeod goes right back to that exact same play, deep out route to Banks. And Winston Rose is not going to get beat twice on that. He undercuts it and takes it to the house for six uh, to put the, the, the Blue Bombers up seven, nothing. I don't know if I've ever seen a quarterback throw two straight out routes uh, like that, but especially against a guy like Winston Rose, who led the CFL in interceptions in 2019, it just seemed like a it just seemed like a terrible idea. Yeah, I mean, you you pointed out the similarities to the BC game. I mean, the second half was very different, um, but you know, the first half unrolled uh, almost exactly the same, it, with you know a couple of mistakes and some red zone um, blunders, and you know things just got away. I mean. That I, I, you know, when we play OCGC, I've been talking about sitting on that wide throw every week. Um, I'm sure DBs and defensive coordinators have. Um, it was a bad, I mean, first of all, you should not run the same play twice. Um, you know, secondly, it was a bad read. I mean, the man coverage, the, the coverage was right there. He was not open. Even, even if he catches it, it is not really worth the risk because it's going to be, you know, a tackle for, you know, a couple of yards for, for that wide a throw, you need to be wide open. Um, so it was a bad read, bad call, bad read, bad start to the game. Um, that is something they're going to have to get better at. They cannot spend half a game getting the cobwebs out of their head. The correct the correct route on that is an out and up. If you're going to go back to the well like that, you just had him wide open on the first one. If you're going to go back to Banks, 
you pump fake the out and then have him turn up field and that's a touchdown. Winston Rose was was undercutting that from the get-go. There's no way he hangs with Banks on an out and up, on a double move. And I I can't blame the play call because it wasn't the exact same play. Banks' route was the same, but the rest of the stuff wasn't the exact same going on. And so... That's a that's a McLeod Bethel Thompson mistake, and he, as always, he's willing to take it on himself. Talking to him after the game, uh, the question I, I don't remember who asked the question, but he, it was about I, I think it was David Morissuti um, from Fansided, and he said he asked you know what you say to Boris Beatty after missing the kick at the end of the game, and he basically said this is not on, on Boris. You know, three interceptions is way worse and has way greater impact on the game than one missed extra point. And, you know, he's, he's like that all the time. He's, he says the right things. He takes the fall uh, when it's his responsibility. And he did again on, on these interceptions on, on his play tonight. But you just can't have it happen. And then to make it worse, the defense still playing lights out. The very next drive, uh, it's, a, it's a drop snap. I, I don't know if it was a high snap or it just came in a little bit too hot. Um, and... The snap falls to the ground. McLeod Bethel Thompson scrambles, picks it up, tries to sort of, I, I think he was trying to make a completed pass. I don't think he was trying to get rid of it, but it was just an ill-advised throw. That one gets picked off. And now suddenly Winnipeg's operating with a short field. They add a field goal. It's 10-0 before, before the Argos can even breathe. So it, it just, they, they continue to put themselves in a hole. And we talked about this as, as the number one key to the game. The Argos could not make mistakes. This Winnipeg Blue Bomber team, they're not interesting, they're not exciting, but they don't make mistakes and they win football games because of it. And the Argos could not stop shooting themselves in the foot tonight. They made mistake after mistake after mistake and they opened with two huge ones to find themselves down 10 nothing. Yeah, I mean, the offense in the first half was disgraceful. Um, you know, it, it, it didn't have any rhythm. It didn't seem to have a plan. It didn't look like they had schemed out um, a script. Uh, still, uh, red zone stymies them. Um, you know, you can tell they are not confident in the red zone. You can feel it. You can feel, you know, like a, like a, like a golfer who has missed four putts in a row. You just feel the tension in the red zone instead of, a confidence and an excitement that now we're going to score. Um, they just get totally uh, mixed up down there, and it's brutal. It you know it's they they are a good enough team. There's no reason tonight's game couldn't have been twenty eight seventeen, Toronto. There there is absolutely no reason this could not have been a solid win against Winnipeg. Um, the, the first half offense is to blame, you know, and I think that's going to take some healing within the team, but that, you know, that had to be that, that was a blowout game that that first half uh, just washed away. Cause I mean, those were terrible mistakes. I mean, not just, you know, sometimes, look, sometimes you're going to have picks. I don't mind, you know, you're trying to push the ball downfield. Sometimes you get a pick, but these were, you know, these were, mental mistakes that just can't happen. You just can't have a quarterback making those mistakes, you know, and, you know, he remains an enigma because his end of game stats are fine. But, you know, you just, you you just really wonder what, what the ceiling is on a player who, who is not able to, to play, um, 
four quarters of football. I misspoke earlier. I said it was 10 nothing. It actually was 14 nothing yeah. because that was, yeah, that was the the questionable uh, PI call oh, against saw. Shaq oh, Richardson. Oh, it was. I mean, there it, were hands, I just don't think. He was, you know, he was there and he had inside leverage. The guy cut across his face and there was a little bit of, con- but not a push or a hole, just, just a guy crossing his face and there was a little bit of contact. I mean, that's, that was. Yeah, that I was didn't weak. think that was a flag. I thought it was pretty weak and that kept the drive alive. And then a few plays later, Wolitarski uh, hauls in a 15 yard touchdown pass on second and 10. And, you know, so it's 14 nothing at that point. And then the Argos third drive. Uh, it was almost a disaster as well. There's another botched snap, but this time it was so Ambles came across and he was in there. He's watching because he's got blitz pickup responsibilities and he's sort of trying to you know wedge in between the guard and tackle as he's settling. But the snap comes uh, right at that moment. And Coach Dinwiddie after the game was really frustrated with it. He said they ran that time that that play eight times in practice this week. Never an issue. Never a, a timing. Uh, problem where there was close to Ambles deflecting the snap and it just went off and they were so lucky that they were able to jump back on that. I think it was Ambles that recovered that that fumbled snap and they after that near disaster, they punt the ball away and again, give their defense just atrocious field position and that, you know, a nice play by Mwamba to, to stop Winnipeg, but there's the field goal added. It's now 17-0. We're in the beginning of the second quarter. And this is where it felt like BC last week. Cause it was 17, nothing for BC. And, uh, and here we are all over again. It was, it was groundhog day and we know how terrible uh, the finish was of the BC game. And I think a lot of people were seeing this right now. There were boos throughout the stadium, people calling for McLeod Bethel Thompson to be pulled, to put in Chad Kelly. Uh, but it was the right move to keep MBT out there. Wasn't it? Yeah, Chad Kelly is not ready to play a CFL game. He is not better uh, than McLeod Bethel Thompson. You know, I mean, maybe he he has some potential uh, down the road, but we are all in on MBT. I think fans need to realize that there is not a backup quarterback this year. Um, and, you know, he showed in the second half what he can be. Um you know, I don't know what was going on with the center tonight, but it, it is frustrating to see the offense make what are really mental mistakes. Um, you know, that's really frustrating to see. And I mean, really, the only one, like the one who stood out in contrast was Harris, who was dialed in as I have seen a running back. You know, like he desperately wanted to win that game and god he ran so well in that first half i mean he just willed himself to yards i mean he was taking heavy contact and delivering heavy contact i mean he was uh spectacular tonight um you know i i think they i i felt they should have gone to him more in the red zone um you know so yeah it is it is really frustrating. I mean, I think on the whole, the, the takeaway we're going to have from this game is positive. But th- that first half is, you know, is unforgivable for a team that has great cup aspirations. Okay, look, if, you, if you're just looking for a team that was better than the 2019 dumpster fire, then it is. But if, you're, if you want a team that you think might, might have a shot at the great cup, I mean that just has to get fixed, and I don't I don't know if it can, um, but it has to. 
we we have we're now three games in and have not seen a four quarter game yet um from Macbeth and you know that has to that has to happen I mean it's on him he has got to do it I don't I don't know how you know what else to say other than he he he's good when he's dialed in and and he's not good when I don't know what goes through his mind on some of those plays yeah, I think that's well said. And I just want to go back to the the running game and what Harris was doing tonight. You notice they didn't really line up in tight end sets tonight. We've I, I've kind of complained about that the last two weeks. I wrote an article this past week about how the Argos didn't really have an identity because they were trying to do something that they weren't really meant for. And so they were like half... Uh, into this system with the with the tight ends and everything else and they didn't run that tonight instead they used Declan Cross the way that Declan Cross should be used so when he was in the game he was lined up sort of as an h-back and he would come across and kick out the dn they had some really nice runs off of that because he's excellent at that he's not a traditional tight end but they also ran Harris out of spread a ton and in talking to Harris after the game about this he said that was something that they picked up on film and just basically in tight end sets, they they knew they were going to get an extra defensive lineman in there. And so by running it out of spread, it was it was an easier get to the second level for him. And once he gets to the second level, you see what he can do and how physical a runner he is. And so yeah. that, that was a, a smart adjustment that the Argos made. Yeah, because I mean, A, we don't have tight ends. And, and B, the wide receivers we have are not um, built particularly large or um very good at blocking you know like that's just not their skill set so like you know <laughs> you would watch these plays and you'd be like what what they you know they have this guy in a tight end who's being picked up like a small child at the pool like it's not really his fault he's not built for that position like <laughs> you can't have somebody on the line playing a line position you know who who weighs 185 pounds so the good thing that we can take away from this point, we're, we're midway through the second quarter, I guess, in our, in our recap, and it's 17-0 Blue Bombers. The good thing about it is that from this point on, the Argos outscore the Blue Bombers 22-6. to They played extremely well after that. The defense had, had a great game start to finish. They were in it from the word go, and this was a relief because they were so terrible last week the pass coverage was brutal they you know they they did okay stopping the run early on but then they couldn't stop it to save their lives in the second half Uh, and tonight uh, start to finish they stopped the run very well Uh, I think Winnipeg ended up with about 50 yards rushing or something like that and they stopped the pass the one thing you asked for from the DBs is hold Calaris under 300 yards it wasn't even close no it was a it was a terrific bounce back game and and one I expected. I mean, we match up much better with Winnipeg. Winnipeg is not a complicated or um dynamic offense, you know, to be honest. Uh, you know, Oliveira's fine, you know, their receivers are fine, they don't have Lawler anymore. So it is a team that defensively, if you are, you know, if you are doing your job you should be able to play well against. And, you know, I was, I was happy to see that because I think, I think the matchup against Winnipeg was much easier than the high speed, high tempo BC machine. Um, But nonetheless, I was really happy to see the aggressiveness and the way guys were flying to the ball and the way guys were tackling with bad intentions. And I thought the defense played lights out all game. 
you know, I mean, really they got buried by those picks. I mean, there, there really wasn't um, any drives. I mean, we had twice as many first downs as Winnipeg. They had, you know, like 215 yards passing 50 yards running. I mean, that, that should be like, I'm talking about, I mean, that should be a 28, 10 win when you're talking about that level of defensive domination. Um, that was really, it was great to see, but also, you know, frustrating because it didn't translate into a win. I have some issues with the coaching at the end of the second quarter. Going to the half last week, Toronto did this and they almost repeated it again this week. So they're driving late in the half looking for points. And I just don't understand why in the CFL you would go hurry up when you've got two minutes left in the half and you're on the opponent's 40. I think you're doing the opposite. Like two minutes in the CFL with stop time at the end of the half, once you're under that three-minute warning, is a ton of time. You've got way more time than you need. And so it should be the opposite. You should almost be in four-minute offense mode where you're trying to kill time and not leave any time left for the opponent to score. Because last week, they ended up finally getting on the board uh, to... And it was the same situation. They finally got a field goal from Boris Beattie, and now it was 17-3 but they left too much time. And a couple passes later, BC was in field goal position. Now it's 20 to three at the half. We almost had a repeat. So driving late, they're going to hurry up. BD kicks a 52 yarder. And, and it, it's unfortunate they couldn't have got in the end zone there. The big hill ended up with a sack. Uh, he beat uh, Dijon Allen around the outside and then made a, a really nice inside move uh, to get to the quarterback. But BD, you know, 52 yarder, uh, he's there for them. It's 17-3. And it looked like Winnipeg was going to drive down for that field goal. But fortunately, uh, Caleros made his one mistake of the night, I guess. Jamal Peters picks off a, a deep bomb to the end zone that he, Caleros just shouldn't have thrown. I can only think there was an offside on Winnipeg on that. I can only think that he thought that was an offside call against Toronto because this actually happened in Winnipeg last year. Jamal Peters had an interception covering Lawler in the end zone last year where uh, Caleros was sure there was an offside call and so he fired it into the end zone and Peters picked it off and it seemed to happen again here so anyway it didn't end up hurting the Argos they go into the half trailing 17-3 but I just I feel like that was some poor clock management and it, it, it's been two weeks in a row now we've seen this before as well so I, I was a little concerned about that so we head into the second half but just before we get there can we have more halftime shows with dogs running after frisbees? Because that was that at that point was the highlight of the evening. We hadn't seen the Hargos do too much yet. Uh, that might be the best halftime show I've seen in a while. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, your your and you know your enjoyment will vary depending on your uh, attachment to dogs, but uh, <laughs> it, it was fine. <laughs> okay, so we start the third quarter and. It, it opens perfectly. All the things that I wanted to see, all the things that I wrote in my halftime adjustments for the offense were there. And we were, we were saying, you and I were talking about this at halftime, the Argos were getting the ball. If you could get a touchdown here, make it 17-10, you're right back in this. And suddenly it's a football game. And we knew the defense was playing lights out. So it opens, they've got a, a double move off Harris play action, which I've been begging for. Gittins runs sort of a, a post out and uh, takes takes it in for 24 yards it was a weird throw it came out of uh, Bethel Thompson's hand weird but Gibbs was so wide open it didn't matter so he hauls it in for 24 yards and then 
it's the, the most unusual touchdown catch you will ever see. If you haven't seen a replay of this, you've got to look this up because it was the weirdest thing. Uh, shout out to, to Three Down for what I thought was a really clever headline. They called this Schrodinger's Catch, a play on Schrodinger's Cat. Um, was it a touchdown or not? And I'll tell you why it was a touchdown. But it's a 45-yard bomb from Bethel Thompson to Brandon Banks that uh, Houston almost broke up. He he kind of caught it right at the one. And as he was falling backwards, Banks sort of took it out of his hand. And then he had it between his shins for a second. And then it was up in the air and he grabbed onto it a second time uh, for the touchdown. But I know there were a lot of people on social media that were saying this should have been an interception, that they saw Houston down with the ball uh, and and uh, with contact. So that should have been blown dead in a pick. Here's why it wasn't. So if you take Brandon Banks out of the equation, you just have Houston catching that ball and dropping it. That's not going to be an interception because you can't lose control of the ball when you go to ground. If you if you catch an interception or, or a pass and you hit the ground and drop it, it's an incomplete pass. You've got to be able to maintain control uh, through the ground. And so we know that that wouldn't have been an interception. So now you add Banks in, it can't be incomplete because the ball never does hit the ground. So it can't be an incomplete pass. It can't be an interception. The only result left is a touchdown. And that was the correct call. It was reviewed. They ruled it a touchdown. That's what it absolutely has to be. But as you mentioned in your report card, it was an underthrown ball. And so a great catch, great play by Brandon Banks, but that's got to be a better ball from McLeod Bethel Thompson. Banks had his guy beat by five yards. It was an underthrown ball. Houston was able to catch up to it, and Banks luckily made a play. But suddenly, here the Argos are, 17-10. They're right back in the game, and it felt at that point like this was the Argos game to win. Yeah, it was uh, You know, it was a positive uh, opening drive, uh, despite... The underthrow. It was a great play by Banks. I mean, full credit to Banks for staying in it and not giving up on that underthrown ball. He could have just thrown his hands up or whatever, but he stayed in it. He stayed. He stayed um, focused and was able to to rip the ball out and keep the ball from the ground. So I thought that was a fantastic Banks play. And you know, I mean, McLeod and Banks are developing a little bit of chemistry, which is crucial. I've been asking for that. That we, you know, a quarterback has to have their guy. Like, it's great that you spread the ball around, but, you know, no successful quarterback doesn't have their go-to receiver who who always comes through for them. So there seems to be a little bit of that there with Banks. We'll talk more about that later. Um, but it was, you know, it was a positive play. It got the crowd back into it. Um, you know, it showed um, McLeod's ability to to shake it off, you know, shake off that first half. And to stay in this thing, I think, you know, it is nice for him that there really isn't any second choice, you know, so he does have that confidence because, you know, Chad Kelly is not ready to to lead the offense in a CFL game. Um, so it was it was good to see. Um, but, you know, a, li- a little late. And then. What looked like was going to be a tie game in the third quarter uh, turned the other way around on the Argos. So the defense forces a beautiful two and out. The offense gets the ball back and they're just rolling at this point. They even converted a third and one. 
And I just thought this was, I, I thought this was the beginning of the tables turning. The Argos have struggled so much on third and one. They missed one earlier in the game already. It was the third and one. Actually, it was third and like half a yard. They gave the ball to Harris and, and he couldn't convert. It was, it was a terrible spot, mind you. And that was, you know, that's a three-point difference right there. But uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson stays in on a third and one. Instead of sending Chad Kelly out there to run short yardage offense, they stay with McLeod. And I think that's the right call. I asked him about that after the game and he says, yeah, absolutely. I want to stay out for those short yardage situations. I want to stay on the field for every play. And so I think you keep giving it to him. He, as a big guy, this is enough. It's it's enough to get you in the CFL that yard. You don't need a runner. You don't need a young guy to come in for a quarterback sneak. If you're running to a run, you know, around the edges and stuff like that, sure. But if you're just running a quarterback sneak, there's no reason in the world McLeod Bethel Thompson can't do it. Brady is successful at it in the NFL because he's a big guy. He's got weight to him. He's got size to him. McLeod Bethel Thompson is the same way. There's no reason why he can't stay in there on third and one. He converts it. Harris is running well. McLeod Bethel-Thompson makes a really nice audible. And I just want to talk about this sequence here. What they started doing in the second half was getting to the line quick, running no huddle, getting to the line quick, especially on like second and, and less than five. And they would run a simulated snap. So the receivers come in on their waggle and then they back out. And it gives the quarterback a chance to see what the coverage is. McLeod Bethel Thompson had enough time to change the play a couple of times. He made a really nice one where he saw the linebackers with a second and four play. They're driving for the tie. Linebackers were bailing out when he simulated the snap. And, and he changed to a run. Harris had a nice long run out of that. And talking to McLeod after the game, he said that that was a big part of their plan coming in. And I, I guess that it's something we saw last year where Winnipeg would show you their hand early if you could line up soon enough, like fast enough to be able to change that play. And they certainly took advantage of that a few times. Not every single one worked out, but McLeod made nice reads on that and made nice audibles, nice checks on those. So they get down inside the five, and then a play that really turned the game. There's a slant route to Banks. Bethel Thompson hits him quickly. Banks doesn't secure it immediately. And then he's rocked by Big Hill. The ball pops up into the air, deflects off a defender, lands in the hands of Thompson, the safety, at the one-yard line. Thompson laterals it, which I actually thought was a forward lateral and, and wasn't reviewed. Laterals it to Taylor. And I, I thought Taylor was gone. Uh, and he's tracked down by McLeod Bethel-Thompson 48 yards later at the Winnipeg 49-yard line. That was that was potentially a game-saving tackle by Macbeth. Yeah, you know, if, if the Argos win tonight, that's probably play of the game in terms of him, you know, leveraging the, um, you know, the DB against the uh, sidelines and, and forcing him out with a great tackle. Uh, you know, that that play was so frustrating to me because, you know, really, I wanted Harris to get the rock. I, you know, like, he wanted it. He wanted it. You could see he wanted it in a way that was not just a guy playing a football game. And I would have given him the rock in the red zone. So I, 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 I wanted run there over pass. Um, I know Banks ended up getting into a fight on the sidelines about this play. And uh, I also was angry at Banks, but, you know, really frustrated that he's in that position. I mean, if you're running that inside route 
down in the red zone, down on the, you know, like you're within five yards, you're going to get hit hard by a linebacker that like, that's where the men live in, you know, between, you know, between the numbers uh, in the middle of the field in the red zone. That's why you have tight ends. That's why, you know, you're, you're looking to throw that ball to a big body who can shield the contact and is able to take the contact and is used to catching contact, right? Like that's not Banks job. Banks is, you know, he's a water bug He's catch and go. He, he is not a guy who spent his career catching the ball and then preparing for contact. I just think it's, it's a, a misuse, you know, it's like yelling at Fred Van Vliet for not getting a rebound. That that's not what he does. That's not what he's built to do. Um, so I, I, I was frustrated with his position. Um, I think that's fine. I think it's fine for him to be there in the middle of the field because you're not crushed in against the end zone. But man, when you're down there that close, there's no chance you're not going to have one of those Winnipeg guys take your head off when you catch that ball. Um, that has to be a big body receiver, or if you don't have one, then you can't run that play. I, I, I think, I think the, the responsibility, you know, I do. I, I wish Banks had held onto the ball, but I can't kill him for it. I, I don't think he should have been in that position. I don't think uh, he's he's designed for that physically. I think that was a bad bad use of personnel. Let's talk about that fight on the sidelines. I I didn't get a great view of it. Like from where we were, it was hard to see exactly what was happening, but it did look like Banks and and Tate were getting into it with each other. Two guys that that played uh, for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. There's, you know, maybe a relationship there. Maybe there's history there. I I don't know exactly the details of it, but it seemed to be off that play. Um, What I thought was interesting after the game, the players had a very different view of that skirmish than Coach Dinwiddie did. The players were saying, well, of course, you know, players are frustrated. They want to win. There's there's anger. You want to see players that care. You don't want to see apathy. And that seemed to be the, the attitude for most of the players on that one. Coach Dinwiddie was not at all impressed by it. And he, he talked about the fact that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he, he basically said that uh, they got rid of some players in camp that weren't team guys, and they had a big talk pre-game today about being for each other and being there for each other, and you know, not fighting each other. And uh, he he talked about the idea of maybe maybe needing to to send other guys home, like more than just the guys that he got rid of in training camp. I wonder if this is enough. Uh, to maybe make some moves, to maybe, uh, I don't know who you send out. Like, it's not going to be Banks. Um, you know, is something done here? Or does he look at the film and maybe get the full story? He wasn't near the action here. And I know he's been criticized for that too, because this went on for quite a while. And people are are saying, well, you know, where's Coach Dinwiddie? Where's where's Pinball? Why isn't this being broken up? How is this still going on? How did Because it continued for several minutes. Uh, you know, what's your read on this on this this fight, quote unquote fight? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't really sweat, you know, professionals um, losing it on each other. Football is a violent game. Football is a high intensity game. Um, you know, temperatures are running hot. Uh, I, I I don't think having a shoving match is is the end of the world. Um, but it, it, you know, obviously, 
it it does show um you know a crack right obviously no nobody wants to fumble the ball nobody wants to drop the ball you're not going to have you don't want to get into a situation you know where guys are coming off and say hey why don't try and block somebody next time you know i mean there are lots of plays where you could say that to another player you know don't be afraid to block someone uh don't be afraid to uh you know don't be afraid to cover that guy um so i i get where he's concerned because that's a, it can quickly turn into poison you know like on the sideline that can that can turn into to poison in a hurry so i i don't think every fight is is a huge problem but if coach you know like coach knows that he might be fighting for the soul of that team you know that's what it sounds like to me that he feels like he has a team that could go either way and he's fighting for the soul of it and uh you know that that probably deeply concerns him you know i think that that comment probably suggests a lot more um going on below the surface in terms of guys who have bought in guys who are pulling in the same direction um you know which is is worrisome yeah i i i'm with dimwitty i don't like it at all um i i i agree with you that you know stuff like that in practice i i don't mind offense and defense getting into it maybe there's a skirmish maybe someone gets too close to the quarterback i i don't mind stuff like that in practice offense and defense i do not want to see in a game two guys on the same unit going at each other like that i think that's a really i think it's a really bad sign and i just don't think it's professional behavior from from either of those guys and again i don't know what was said i don't know maybe there's history to it as well we don't know but i i just i can't accept that it's it's and i also can't accept that it took that long to put the fire out and I think that something needs to be looked at there. I think there needs to be something better in place. I don't yeah. know if a change I mean, needs to be made, have, but you can't have that. You have to have positional coaches who jump right in. Look, co- coach is watching the game. And, you know, pinball finally came down, you know, not finally like he was supposed to, but like he comes down and dad was home and calmed everything. But positional coaches have to jump in and and put that out immediately. Like, you know, your wide receiver positional coach, your offensive line positional coach, um, I agree with you that 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 has to get cleaned up and um, you know it it uh, there's not much good to take from it you know I think it, you know it's, it's it's hard to say how serious it is but um, it, it's, it certainly suggests that you know you have people who are not you know th- I mean that's gonna happen especially after you get your doors blown off you know you get your doors blown off any athlete, professional athlete, high school athlete, college athlete, the, the, their first finger is not going to be pointing at themselves. You know, their the first finger is going to be like, "What the hell are we running here? You know, what 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 are you know what are the plays that we're running? What what is the program we have installed?" And so it it become. I mean, anytime you have a blowout, you know, unless you are a seasoned coach, you know, who's been coaching for twenty years. Um, that's a dangerous, fragile time for a team. So I think you're seeing also a little bit of that. So into the fourth quarter we go. It's 2010 now at this point after Winnipeg adds a field goal. Toronto strikes back with a field goal of their own. So it's 20-13 to 13 and you knew it was going to come down to the last drive of the game. There are a couple little things we got to talk about that happen in here. So 
let, let's get our special teams conversations out of the way here because uh, right uh, as much as he had some interesting uh, choices and we saw uh, him with a, a really nice return near the end of the game he dropped a punt he struggled with a couple in warm-up that we saw uh, this makes me nervous we know his path choice is so good his vision is so good that's what made him one of the best return men in all the NCAA in 2018 and yet he's struggled to hang on to the ball uh, I, I don't know a lot of it's the blocking they can't they can't stop a, a gunner a, at all no and there just seems to be as soon as the the returner catches the punt um, or the kickoff there are guys unblocked coming right at them I mean the kick return in general seems better uh, but the punt return is dismal I mean he averaged five yards a return tonight, you know, which is what the league gives you. They give you a five-yard window. You know, by rule, you should get five yards. Um, so the punt return is not good. It is below league average. Um, like you say, they they are not blocking the gunner. They are behind. I, I don't know whether they need to just you know, dial back immediately on the snap of the ball. Don't even engage your guy. Just get back because they, you know, the, the returner has no chance. I mean, look, you see with Worthy, you know, not to feed a fed horse, but, uh, you know, Worthy, Worthy has turned into a potential all-star in Montreal. That is a problem. That is a black mark against the team. Uh, guys see that. They are not dumb. They're like, why is this guy suddenly able to return for touchdowns? And here, he couldn't get a foot. It's like, we, you know, there's a problem here. We need to we need to scheme it up. And really, special teams of all the teams is so scheme dependent. Like, that's why you have those special teams aces, because it's, it's such X's and O's to dominate a special teams. More than offense, more than defense. You know, you really... Um, you see who is good at drawing up blocking schemes and who is not. Um, so that, yeah, that is concerning that they have not figured out a way to at least be league average at punt return. So trailing by a touchdown, McLeod Bethel Thompson and the Argos get the ball. Uh, there was a chance early. Now this, this didn't come into play, but there was an offside on Winnipeg. A free play. And we've seen this many times before. There were two in this game where clearly Winnipeg was offside. And on both occasions, McLeod Bethel Thompson threw threw a short ball over the middle. I, I think both were incomplete as well, which, you know, it doesn't matter because you're getting those free yards. But I really want to see him take a shot. If you know for sure that the, the penalty is going to be on the defense, that they jumped offside, and you know what that flag is for, You've got to take a shot. You've got to go deep. On that second one, on this drive, not that it's an easy pass, but Giddens Jr. was way downfield. Heave it up for him. You know, if it gets picked, whatever. You're getting your five yards. But there's a chance that he catches it. There's a chance that it's P.I. There's there's all sorts of things that can go right, and you can't lose in that scenario. I wanted him to take advantage of those pre free plays, and, and he didn't. It didn't matter. It wasn't, you know, they did score on that drive, and we'll get to the painful end of this game. But, yeah, you have to. When you've got a free play, you you go for it. You you launch it deep. Yeah, I mean, I, I hated the, the play they scored on. Um, I hate 
when teams roll the quarterback out and now you only have half the field to look at. But, you know, Winnipeg just was not ready for it. It's not something Toronto does a lot uh, in terms of like rolling out um, a designed rollout. It, it caught Winnipeg by surprise, and and the, you know it was a walk in touchdown, which it you know it certainly shouldn't have been, because um, I do hate that play. Um, but <laughs> full credit to them, they moved the ball down the field efficiently. They did bang it in the red zone. The the, the offensive line center almost cost them that chance with a terrible snap. Uh, I don't really know what was going on with the center today, um, but. Uh, you know, it was it was good to see, and the you know the stadium was, you know, for, you know, we we talked about the terrible home opener in terms of schedule, like a Thursday night, and now we have this game on a Monday night that's not a holiday. I mean, the, I, I the CFL is just burying Toronto, just burying them with the schedule. What What is this schedule? Thursday night? Monday night? Now they're gone for a month? And then they play Sunday at 5? I mean, what What on earth is that schedule? It, like, on a separate rant, that is a schedule that is just designed to, like, do they want Toronto not to be a franchise anymore? I, I, like, what do you want MLSE to, to move on? Like, like where where is this design coming from like you've got these teams that have locked in crowds you know Saskatchewan and Winnipeg um and Calgary and Edmonton like give those guys terrible times those fans are coming if you schedule that game at two in the morning or seven at night on a Wednesday whatever but Toronto has to get preferred schedule time because you're trying to make your damn biggest city your best franchise i you know like i'm sure that kind of stuff drives mlse crazy there that's my rant so at the at the end of the game like you said that 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 miss snap so it's first and goal from the five and we're thinking here it's going to be a couple harris runs he's going to get in there but the snap comes like a 500 miles an hour and high. McLeod Bethel Thompson does well just to like knock it down, but it's a five-yard loss. Now it's second and goal from the 10, and that's where they dialed up that play, the rollout, which I, I think, like you say, it's not a play I love, but it got him out of the pocket. Heat was coming. It's not, it's and, not one they run much, so it definitely, right. caught Winnipeg, it definitely caught Winnipeg by surprise. Yeah, and that's why it worked. Ambles was wide open, and he somersaults into the end zone, and now everyone's thinking about overtime. And I was... I was just about to tweet out that the Argos had tied up the game. And I thought, you know what? I got to wait for a second because I've seen so many times on that end of the field. And so I paused. I did not send my tweet. And, you know, sure enough, Boris Beattie misses the extra point. Um, it's it's a tough end of the stadium to kick into. We've seen so many kickers come in and struggle. We saw Montreal in the opener miss a, a shorter kick than that. Um, to miss a 21-yard field goal to win the game, and he and he missed it. We saw last year with BC and their struggles. We saw Hamilton kick an extra point that was supposed to tie it just like this off the upright, and you know it, it came back finally to to haunt Toronto. But let's talk about the decision to go for two because that's one that uh, Justin Dunk asked. I, I think just about everybody that question after the game. You know, players. I, I think I had the question in on, on Dinwiddie for that. And every single one of them was tempted by it. Nobody was going to 
throw Coach Dinwiddie under the bus, but even he said that, you know, he selfishly wanted to go for two there, that he didn't because he didn't feel it was the best thing for the team, because he didn't feel like they were moving the ball consistently. He felt like, let's get this to overtime, Beatty's money, let's just get into overtime and take advantage of the fact that Harris is running so well. But I, I don't know, what do you do in that scenario? It It's a complicated um, equation. Uh, on in a vacuum, I would go for it as I I, I t- you know said to you before he kicked it. I would go for two because I didn't feel there was anything on earth that was going to stop Andrew Harris from getting in the end zone to put a dagger in Winnipeg. Um, he you know he ran possessed all night, um, so I I felt confident in this particular this one particular scenario with Harris versus Winnipeg that, man, he was getting in that end zone. So I would have gone for two. But, you know, you get into those scenarios about, look, Dinwiddie is still a second-year coach. He's not Wally Buono or, you know, some guy who's been around for 20 years who's going to have a statue built for him. Um, he's not pinball. You know, he so he needs to get this team back. And so if he gambles, as much as guys say whatever, if he gambles and they get stuffed, you know, maybe he feels his, that's going to put another big chunk into his legitimacy. And that's an unfortunate part. That's kind of like the the invisible part of coaching is not every coach can make every decision because you're not in a vacuum. You... You have your relationship with your team. Um, I, I I do think he probably felt his hands were tied, and that was too ballsy a gamble for a coach that had just gotten shellacked by BC. You know, um, even though he was good last year, you know, every team is kind of its own thing. Um, I, that's what I read from that. I I think that he wanted to, but he didn't feel he had the currency to risk it and to take that loss on his shoulders because it wouldn't have been Harris or the offensive line or whoever that the players would have blamed. They would have blamed Dinwiddie. You know, we fought all the way back and you threw it away. So uh, that's a tough rap for Dinwiddie. I, I, I agree with him. I think in his scenario, he probably didn't have the currency to, to make that call, which is, you know, which is a tough break. I thought Harris's response to that question was pretty funny. He's like, absolutely, yeah. I wanted the ball. Oh, yeah. I'm like, you know, that's where, honestly, that's where I'm like, Harris is getting in that end zone. There's no chance. But he's not in a vacuum, and he might be, you know, he might be, you know, that might be a crew that's, you know, it's like a master and commander. That might be... <laughs> It might be somebody might have to jump overboard with a cannonball. The the uh, the other good response was from Deshaun Amos, who he thought about it carefully because he didn't, you know, he doesn't want to throw anyone under the bus or whatever. He said, "If I were at home playing in a video game, I would have gone for two. <laughs> but it's easy when you're playing in a video game, and you know, there's no one else, uh, no one else is on the line with you, right? It's just you and your video game. There's no consequence." But he's like, in that scenario, I, you know, I, I get it, I think. Yeah, but. I, th- I think it's, you know, I think if, if, you know, if Dinwiddie is Mike O'Shea, 
Mike O'Shea can go for two there. And that's not going to yeah. be a problem. If they don't get it, you're not going to have guys on the bus going, you know, MF this guy. Um, you know, because he has that currency. And, and you know, Dinwiddie's too early in his career to have it. So that that's, you know, that's how, that's how ball goes sometimes. Do you feel good about this game or <laughs> rough? Like, yeah. what, what's your feeling? Because I don't really know. Like, I feel, I feel I, okay. I thought I'm they not... played better than they did against Montreal when they won a game on a, on a on a shanked kick. Yeah, for um, sure. I thought it was the best. I thought the second half was the best two quarters of football the team has played. Um, again, this is not the tryhard league or the participation ribbon league. So that doesn't really mean anything unless they can turn that into four quarters. But it, it does show this team is capable of of going toe-to-toe with Winnipeg. Um, you know, I think that's that's good. But for a team that really doesn't seem to be able to win on the road, uh, that's a tough that's a tough loss to take. I mean that's that would have, you know, buried Hamilton. Um, so I'm, I'm. It, it, I think there were a lot of positives to take away from it. I thought the secondary calls were much better. Um, I don't think any other team in the league can do what BC can do, or at least can do until the NFL takes their quarterback in Week Seven. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm, I am positive about what happened. I hope that um, that the that the team takes it the same way. Um, but I need to see a better first half uh, next game. Yeah, I, I feel similarly. I, I think it's ultimately you made so many mistakes in this game and were one point away, a misconvert away from yeah. overtime. Should, they, they should have won that game by 14. Yeah, and I think that... That's, you know, the, the one side of that is, well, that's bad because they didn't and they made so many mistakes. But to make all those mistakes and still be there at the end, there was real character there. They had a running game that really showed itself today. There were um, some chemistry additions that we haven't really seen before. We still got guys playing out of spots. We still got a ton of guys injured that are going to be coming back. Eric Rogers is going to be coming back at some point. Chris Edwards. Chris Edwards. How much, how much better is he going to make the, the defense look? So, you know, there, there's so much positivity to draw like, from in this game go, but, it, but it just still stings you're gonna go, um uh you know um Moamba and uh and edwards um and uh my, my brain freezing mcfadden mcmanus or mcmanus not mcfadden mcmanus um that's amazing yeah you know like you know so let's let's hope that they can get this thing going before too long and as bad as you might feel listening to this at home, you're angry, you're frustrated. Remember that the Argos are still in first place in the East by half a game. And they've played terribly and they've had so many guys injured and they're in first place in the East. Things are going to get better. I feel good about where they are. I'm disappointed that they didn't take advantage of an opportunity that was right there for them to bury the Red Blacks, to bury the Tiger Cats. But it's okay. I think there are some positive signs we can take away. JB, let's get to our players of the game and our play of the game. Who's your Who's your defensive player of the game? Because I think that the defense is a little bit tougher than yeah, offense in this I mean, one. It, you know, you would think there'd be lots of choices, but it was such a great unit performance. You know that 
the, de- the defensive line had great pressure all night. Uh, the secondary had, you know, was all over those wide receivers. Um, I thought the secondary blitzes were well-timed. I might've had even a few more, but they were well-timed, well-delivered. Um, I thought that when they had a chance to lay stick, they, they did, you know, I thought, I thought the defense absolutely dominated all game. Um, you know, if I had to choose someone, I'm going to give, I'm going to give some flowers to Mwamba. Uh, he had a great goal line stop. Um, you know, he absolutely takes away that middle of the field. In a lot of ways, you don't see what Mwamba brings because teams don't do that drop over screen into the middle of the field because they don't want their running back being killed. So you don't see plays that he would make because he is so good. But you watch it and you know in football that that check down to the middle of the field is pretty much a staple of any offense but not when you play the Argos. Uh, you, don't, you don't see anybody catching a ball uh, five yards from the line of scrimmage in the middle of the field. So I'm going to give it to Mwamba. I thought he uh, I thought he played really well tonight. And I think with so many guys playing well, we've got to acknowledge, too, that this was a great game from Coach Mace, the defensive coordinator. After last week where I thought there was some just really odd play calls where there was so much miscommunication in the secondary and it had to fall on coach bell coach fields coach mace they did an amazing job today coach mace called an excellent game and he had so many guys in position to be the defensive player of the game i think we can shout out uh, mcfadden who had a really good game priester made some really nice stops as well um i thought jamal peters uh, had a really nice game too i'm gonna give my player of the game to deshaun amos i i think in among the, the guys in the secondary, I think he had the best game overall, uh, but nobody had a bad game in the secondary. They all played extremely well. He just stood out to me. He made some really clutch plays. So that's where I'm going to give my defensive player of the game. Offensive player of the game, we're definitely on the same page on this. It has to be Andrew Harris. He played just a, a sensational game. One of the best games I've seen at Toronto Argonauts running back play in a long time. Yeah, he was man. He delivered hits with such violence. Um, he, you know, I know that he's hurting in probably every body part that he has. Um, <laughs> you know, they're going to have to find some new strategies because he cannot carry the ball 25 times for 14 more games. You know, he, he just, it's just way too much to ask of him. So they're, they're going to need to come up with some load management. You know, whether it's giving him a week off or, or something. I mean, they you know, they're gonna have to factor that in and do the best that they can because he, he can't he can't keep this load up. But man, he looked great today. But we and we need we need that in November. The positives are that he's got a bye coming up. So he's got a long rest. Uh, the next game, the Argos are technically at home, but it's being played in Halifax, touchdown in Atlantic game that, that you will be at J B. <laughs> Hopefully. But Hopefully, hopefully you'll you'll make it there. Um, but yeah, he's got some time now. So I agree they can't overload him. But if there was going to be a game where he has this many carries and that, and that much that much physicality, uh, it's before a bye. So that is well-timed. But yeah, he was just... You know, what made this more impressive? Because, you know, you had a couple of really good games from DJ Foster last year. White had a couple of nice games. What made this game so special is that that's the one thing that Winnipeg came in wanting to stop. At all costs, they were going to try and stop Andrew Harris and make sure it wasn't him that beat them. And even with all that extra attention, 
he's still able to rush for 111 yards and do it consistently. Like, it's not like he, he has a 60-yard run mixed in there. His long was 12, but he just continually pounded and pounded and got five, six, seven, eight each time. Um, and th- that's what made it so impressive. He wore them down. And if this game goes into overtime, I feel like he's going to carry the Toronto Argonauts to a victory. So, you know, we never get to see it work out, but he's absolutely the player of the game. What's your play of the game? Um has to be the interception touchdown. Uh, you know, it, it turned the game around. Uh, the game, you know, we, we saw how BC went in the second half. Now, that's, Winnipeg is not that caliber of offense, so probably isn't going to turn into that. But, the you know, for, for Banks, even though he made that terrible fumble later, uh, for Banks to stay, you know, in the moment um, to fight for that ball and to turn it into a touchdown – you know, electrified the crowd, got the team back into it, made it a football game. It was the second half was really entertaining. Um, you know, I thought it, I thought it turned everything, and it was a weird, weird, weird play. My play of the game is uh, this is surprising. You're going with an offensive play. I'm going to go with the defensive play. I thought there was a really clutch play that the defense made. I thought it was a wonderful play call and it was beautifully executed. So. Uh, it's a second and four situation. The Bombers are, you know, approaching uh, the Argos end zone to put it away in the fourth, you know, because a touchdown there puts the game out of reach. And they send a blitz off the edge. Uh, tremendous amount of heat. Caleros has to sort of loft the ball over the blitzing defender. And Amos is following up. He's got Flats' responsibility on that. And he's just tearing from the get-go because he's lined up super deep. He comes in, the pass is complete uh, to Grant and Amos just lights him up for a one-yard loss. And that was a massive play because if they convert that that first down, you know, that, that might be it. But instead, it's a one-yard loss and that forces the Bombers to kick a field goal. And that's what gives the, the Argos a chance to, to tie it up with the touchdown. So for me, that was the play of the game. I just thought it was a beautiful, aggressive play call that was executed to perfection, not only by the Blitzer, but also by Amos coming up and, and following that. And uh, just yeah, not, not letting Janarian Grant um, even turn around. He just he got smoked as soon as he, he caught that football. So to me, that was the play of the game. We've got a scheduling note for you just before we sign off here. It is a bye week. We're not going to do our regular Tuesday recording podcast because, well, for one, it's already Tuesday as we're into the wee hours of the morning. Uh, so this next, our bye week podcast will come to you. We'll record Thursday morning. Should be out Thursday about noon if you want to get your fantasy picks. This is a tough week. There's only three games in the CFL with three teams on a bye. So we'll have all that coming to you Thursday morning, Thursday early afternoon so that you can get your fantasy plays in we'll give you our picks not that they were worth much this week as we both go one and three but yeah a couple games that really could have gone either way that will just about do it for us on this post-game reaction podcast for jb this is ben grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones i'll see you fight the foe.